If you would please stand and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3. We'll be reading the uh, whole chapter. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were, you, you were not able to bear it, neither yet know now ye are able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the, in, the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take, it, take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be reviled by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any, man work, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burdened, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God. You may be seated. Good morning. Hope you have your word with you. I'm excited about what we're going to be doing this morning in the word in these next few weeks. Uh, what the Lord is, is going to be teaching us uh, about some, what I would really see from the scripture, basic building blocks for his church. Uh, specifically for hope in Christ, yes, but for his church in general. These are things that I believe the Lord would have his church be about. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump right in, okay? Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, let us hold fast our confession, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Father, we come to you realizing and recognizing that we do not have a high priest who, who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. But he was in all points tempted as we are, and yet he was without sin. 
Therefore, God, you have called us to come boldly to your throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Father, we are truly a needy people. And we cry out to you today to fill us with your words of truth. We ask, Lord, you would infuse us, infuse our spirits with your love and encourage us today as we meet with you in the pages of your word. Make us walk in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Grant us joy as we walk with you each day. Mature us in the faith. Grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And move us in this coming year to a place of prayer. Give us eyes to see what you're doing. Fill us with the power that only comes through your Holy Spirit abiding within us. Remind us as we enter into prayer that you are a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. We pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, our rock, our strong tower, our defense. Amen. Charles Stanley in his book, The Ultimate Conversation. He says, at his throne, at his throne, you will discover life at its very best. A life characterized and enriched by a growing, vibrant relationship with the Lord God Almighty. You know, I I just had the table and chairs set up here because... As I was thinking about that book title, I was thinking about the subject matter of prayer and thinking about the relational aspect, the conversational aspect, the ultimate conversation that we have an honor to have with the Lord 24-7. Seated across the table, can you imagine that? Can you picture yourself seated across the table from the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, That you have an ear, that he wants to hear from you. That's what we're talking about this morning. It is truly the ultimate conversation. And it's a a conversation that's not a one-time deal. It's an ongoing conversation. How many of you here desire to experience What Stanley says, a growing, vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody here interested in that? Okay, good. About all of you. Excellent. I'm glad that there were a lot of hands. That's positive. That's a good start. I believe most of us here would place prayer somewhere near the top of the list when asked what it is to have a growing, vibrant relationship with the Lord. The issue, I believe, is not an intellectual one. You know what God has to say about prayer. At least in general you do. You know that it's something you ought to be about as a follower of Jesus. You might even know a few verses of scripture regarding prayer. But here's the challenge, friends. Why is it that we know the right answer? Why is it that we know the components 
to this growing, vibrant relationship, and yet we fail to access it with any regularity in our lives. When you know the right answer to a question on the test, young people, how often do you intentionally put down the wrong answer? I mean, think about how silly that would be. You know the right answer, but you're going to put down the wrong one. No, you don't willfully jot down a wrong answer when you know the certainty of the right answer. Listen, prayer is the right answer. It's the right answer to solving our greatest problems. But listen, it's the right answer, not because of prayer itself. It's the right answer because of the one to whom we pray. Would you agree that a steady return to the place of prayer is needed in your life? Would you agree that the place of prayer in your life is not what it should be? I'd like to speak to you this morning about this place of prayer. Opening the word this week, spending time in prayer with the Father. You know, teaching on the subject of prayer is always a challenge. And I imagine listening to a message on prayer is challenging as well. Because deep down, you see, we're, we're confronted with this subject and Whether as teacher or listener, we're confronted with our frailties, our humanness, our limitations. We we realize as we consider the place of prayer in our lives that we aren't what we should be. Amen? (laughs) We're not. We coin that familiar phrase of doing better with prayer each year. Knowing deep down that our relationship with God through Jesus Christ demands much more than we've been giving it. Year after year goes by and the place of prayer in our lives isn't getting any better. The relationship doesn't seem to be growing. No vibrancy, no life, no experiencing the presence of the Lord in this relationship. What I'm speaking to you about today has been something the Lord is teaching me. I stand here not as someone who's arrived on the subject matter of prayer. I haven't. But I stand with God's word open, calling the church this morning to a life of prayer, a place of prayer that I believe God intends for each one of his children. The place of prayer. I was reminded of what the hymn writer calls it, a sweet hour of prayer. That calls me from a world of care. Listen, is your time of prayer with God characterized by this sweetness, by a joy, by a longing to draw near to the creator of the universe for conversation? 
Is there any want to in this relationship with God? You know, when I was dating my wife back in the day, I can remember the joy of wanting to be with her. And you guys remember those days? Wanting to be with her. Think about how odd it would be to have such a relationship and not want to be with that other person. Why is it that the church of Jesus Christ has little want to in this relationship with the God who has rescued her from darkness? We just heard during the Lord's Supper time, this God who redeemed us and he's brought us into the kingdom of light. Why so little want to on our end when the God of heaven has reconciled you unto himself through the finished work of his son at the cross? How is it that we can have little want to in this relationship that grants us, listen, everlasting life? The Bible says that Jesus laid down his life for us. How can we have little want to in this relationship? The place of prayer, church, is foundational for all who profess the name of Jesus. It's foundational. We're going to be talking about in these next several weeks, building blocks of the church, foundational building blocks. How do we build on what Christ has already established? I had Justin read Corinthians 3 because it speaks to the foundation No other foundation can be laid other than that which is already laid, and that is Jesus Christ. The warning in the passage is, how then are we building? What are we building with? As we look at what God expects of his church, I believe he's calling us to a place of prayer. And those two verses, in particular in Corinthians 3... Paul says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 has some similar ideas for us to grab a hold of. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on what? On the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Friends, that's what we're building on. That's that's what the church is built on. The apostles, the prophets, Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Let's be certain we're not stumbling as those in the past in the scripture. We see this happened and we see today some are still getting tripped up on this. They're still stumbling over the stumbling stone. Let's not be tripped up over the one that we need to be seeing and recognizing and building our lives upon. So how are you building on the foundation of Jesus Christ How does the church intentionally build on the foundation already laid in Christ? 
Building begins on our knees in prayer. It begins understanding this ultimate conversation. It's not a one-time deal. It's not simply done out of duty. It's not done to check a box. It's done because we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, I really believe we need to have a different way of thinking about prayer. For some of us in here, maybe, maybe, especially some of you younger folks, you think of prayer and you think, tune it out. You tune it out. You're waiting until something else happens. I'll, I'll catch up once prayer time's done. No, no, no. Prayer is not a time. Prayer is something we are to be about doing all the time. Prayer is conversation. Prayer is relationship, as we're going to come to see here this morning. Building on Christ's foundation takes you to the place of prayer. In the remainder of our time this morning, I'd like to point you to the scriptures and, and draw your attention to this place of prayer and ask, what is it that characterizes this place of prayer? If prayer is a foundational building block for his church, what makes it so? If this is the ultimate conversation, what is it that the Lord would have us learn from this place of prayer? I believe, first of all, the place of prayer is a place of, of privilege. It's a place of privilege. Psalm 65, 4 and 5 says, Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. Psalm 37, 28, For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. Did you hear that? He does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. You know, I was reading in the Bible this past week. It's a novel idea to read in your Bibles, by the way. Read it. It's wonderful. There's a lot of really good things in there. And this week, one of the things that I discovered was that this whole idea of privilege, the place of prayer being a privilege, I was reminded of the privilege and how God does have a distinction. Because when, you remember when those plagues were going on? All those bad things were happening in Egypt. Do you know that... As bad as things were in Egypt, in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were, did you know that none of those things happened? God allowed those things to happen over here, but over here where God's people are, he preserved them. It's an amazing thing. Time and again, all these plagues that were happening, they were happening over here in Egypt. To the disobedient, to the wicked, to the rebellious heart, to the hardened heart. But over here, to God's people, he was pouring out his love, pouring out his concern, pouring out his favor to his people. Friends, that's exactly, in prayer, what we need to come to understand. It's a place of privilege. It's a place of access for us. Psalm 34, 22 says, The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. None of those who trust in him shall be condemned. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? There's no condemnation in Christ. Those who trust in him. It's a privileged place. Psalm 121, verse 3. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He's not going to sleep. He's not going on vacation. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The place of prayer is a place of privilege, friends. And this connects to what we talked about last week and explains why John 3, 16 is significant to our understanding. If we do not believe in this Jesus of the scriptures, if we do not respond to his amazing love, uh, to respond to God's sacrificial giving of his only begotten son and realize that he has ultimate authority in our life, 
We miss out on the privileges and rights as his children. Because we need to remember John chapter 1 says that it's God who has given us the ability. He's given us the right to become children of God. God calls his church to prayer. And prayer is a place of privilege. He watches over the ways of the righteous. He hears the prayers of his people. You know, when it comes to your own children, they have certain privileges. They gain certain access because they belong to you. You care for them and you love them like no other child. There's no other adult, no other man and woman that here on earth that's going to provide the love for your children like dad and mom do. Friday night I went to a basketball game and and took two of the boys with me. And when we got to the game, the boys had to sign in. Sometimes there's a little clipboard sign-in sheet. And if I'm bringing somebody with me, they just want them to sign in. And so on that sheet of paper, I remember them writing their names. And there was a little column that said reason. Or it's like, why are you here? You don't want to know, here's your name, but why are you here? Or who are you here with? And I remember them writing down, I think, I think Avery put down, uh, reason, dad, referee. See, because they're with me, because they're my sons, they get the privilege of coming in with me. They get the privilege of coming into the locker room with me. Not everyone gets that privilege. Only my sons get that privilege because they're with me. There's times when I go to a game and there is a specific parking lot that I'm supposed to park in. And and a lot of times as I'm pulling into the parking lot, I pull in and there's a cop car there keeping most of the people away from this particular parking area. And all I have to do is roll down my window and tell that police officer, referee. And he says, go on in. You see, I've got access into that special parking place. Not just anybody can go there. What I want you to see and understand this morning in this ultimate conversation is that you are privileged as a child of his to come anytime. You are a child of his, a treasured child of God. And he has provided you access When you belong to the Lord, when you're a child of His, this place of prayer is a wonderful place to be. It's a privileged place to be. Access is gained. Blessings of the Lord abound to the righteous. He directs the steps of those who trust Him. When we come to God in prayer, we can come with great expectations, knowing that He desires to hear from us. And we can come to this place of prayer knowing that we are a treasured child of His. You see, in Christ, prayer is a place of privilege where we are welcomed to freely enter into His presence. Isn't it great to know we're welcome to come? He he welcomes us all the time to come. But I want you to see this morning that prayer is not only a place of privilege, it's a place of humility. It's a place of humility, secondly. 
John Dixon, in his book, Humilitas, he writes these words about humility. He says, the humble person is marked by a willingness to hold power in service of others. To hold power in service of others. And you know, I was thinking about this and how perfectly this describes the life of Jesus. He held power always in the service of others. Always looking out for others. Always preaching a word that others might be saved. Always teaching others. Always healing others. Always thinking of others' interests. Think about the Savior of the world. God in the flesh operating with this spirit of humility. The place of prayer is a place of humility. Dixon goes on to say that humility is the noble choice. I love this. The noble choice to forego your status, to forego deploying your resources, to forego using your influence for the good of others before yourself. Thinking of the interests of others. You see, when you arrive at the place of prayer, you are coming low. You're acknowledging your sense of dependency upon God. Have you ever driven someplace and found that you were lost? Anybody? And by the way, this is not just for men. This could be anybody. It just so happens that it, most of us uh, men, this, this team, we, we can relate to this. But it could be some of you ladies as well. You didn't set out to get lost. But over time, you sort of drifted off the main road and, and you thought you could make it back on your own. And I realize we have these GPS devices now and, and those are helpful in some instances to steer us back without letting people know we really were lost. But I, I thinking about that and I was asking, I was wondering, you know, a lot of times when we are in the midst of driving and we are in the midst of uncertainty as to where we are, we... We have the opportunity to pull over. We have the opportunity to ask someone for directions. But we oftentimes fail to do that. Why is it that we are slow to ask others for direction when we're lost? Somebody just said it. Pride. Pride. We want others to think we got this all figured out. See, the place of prayer is a place of humility. And it's admitting on one hand, we don't have all the answers. It's also admitting we aren't on the right path. Secondly, it's also admitting we recognize the one to whom we pray. He does have the answers. His understanding, the Bible says, is unsearchable. His ways, his thoughts are higher than ours. Why wouldn't we desire to come to this place of prayer more often? See, it's a place of humility. Arrogance and pride and stubbornness and bitterness, jealousy, envy, an unforgiving spirit. All of these things are going to keep us away from the ultimate conversation. You know, humility has a sense of vulnerability attached to it, doesn't it? I believe David in the scriptures understood this place when he penned Psalm 51. You see, he found himself coming low in the presence of God, repenting of his sins against you and you only, he says, have I sinned. He came to realize that a broken and contrite heart God would not despise. In Psalm 32, David contrasts his life while keeping silent of his sin versus acknowledging his sin to God. 
When he kept silent, the scripture says that his bones grew old through his groaning all the day long. Oh, what a miserable picture that is. But when he finally, in humility, came to the Lord, scripture says that God forgave him of his sins. Chapter 32 of Psalm, verses 8 and 9. These are the words of the Lord actually speaking here. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? I'll guide you with my eye. Listen, if you're not looking to the Lord, it's going to be hard for him to guide you with his eye. That's why elsewhere we're called to look unto Jesus, aren't we? Look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus so that we can be led and guided by his eye. He says, do not be like the horse or like the mule. When you think of a horse or a mule, what do you think of? Stubborn. He says they have no understanding. They have to be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near. Don't be like that. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 calls the child of God to be, listen, we're worried today about our attire, what we wear, what we look like. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5 that we are to be clothed with humility. Think about that for a moment. We are to be clothed with humility for, here's what it says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. His grace is poured out to the humble. The place of prayer is a place of humility where we discover the riches of God's grace in our lives. And that's why in the very next verse in Peter chapter 5, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You see, the place of prayer is where we humble ourselves under, many under. We come under the mighty hand of God. There are a lot of us that don't want to come under anybody. We want it and got it all figured out. We don't like the idea of coming under anybody. But we come into his presence, we got to understand, as the creature, not the creator. We come to this place of prayer in a spirit of submission, recognizing that he's God and I'm not. The place of prayer is a place of privilege, and it's a place of humility. But I want you to notice, third, it's a place of intimacy. Oh, I really, I really especially enjoyed this one. I came across this yesterday in my reading that captures this sense of intimacy. This one verse in Exodus 33 in the life of Moses, verse 11, it says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. I was thinking, oh, wow. Moses. You read the life of Moses and you read his interactions with God. Moses is all the time talking to God. And he's all the time listening and receiving from God. I mean, he, he and God were having this ultimate conversation all the time. As friend with friend, the place of prayer is a place of intimacy with the God of the universe. When you consider prayer as a place of intimacy, you might be reminded of your relationship with your spouse. You see, you only share certain things with your loved one. Certain words are reserved for your spouse. Right, man? The certain things that you would say, you just would say them only to your wife. You wouldn't dare speak some of the things with others that you share with your spouse. Why? 
You're not intimate with a bunch of people. You're intimate with your spouse. Intimacy is a window into your heart. You tend to share things with her because she's connected to you. The Bible says you are one flesh. You love her. You desire to reserve certain intimate details just with her. The place of prayer is intended to be this kind of place of intimacy. And I believe the psalmist helps us understand this place of intimacy well. You know, the psalms, a collection of psalms. It was the the Jewish hymnal, but it was also a collection of prayers. And all kinds of prayers in the book of Psalms. And these prayers bracket the full range of human emotion. From happiness, mountaintop experience, to anger, to questions. How long, O Lord? Where are you, Lord? How long, Lord? Deliver me, Lord. Rescue me, Lord. When's all this going to stop, Lord? All full gamut of emotion. Intimacy speaks to relationship. Relationship. And in particular, a relationship bound by a covenant we think of in marriage. As an example, intimacy being reserved for married couples. One man, one wife, together in marriage before God. But the place of prayer is characterized by a certain sense of intimacy as well. You see, when God's people pray to him, they are invited into the presence of one who loves them. He loves you. For God so loved the world, (laughs) he gave his son. As a child of his, you come sharing your heart with him. You see, it's part of your relationship with him. You're talking with him and listening to what he has to say to you from his word. Let's not forget that when you open the word and when you read the word, God is speaking to you through his word. This is his revealed word. If you turn, in fact, to Matthew chapter 7 for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 7, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, These words are, 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 are hard to hear. They're really, in many ways, a warning for us as we think about this place of prayer being a place of intimacy. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Oh, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things? Look what we did, Lord. Look at verse 23. Jesus says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. The word knew has in mind relationship. I never, ever knew you. I never had a relationship with you at all. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Prayer is a place of intimacy with the God who loves you. This is the God who knows your heart. This is the God who knows you when you lie down at night. He knows you when you wake up. He knows what your true treasure is. He knows the treasure of your heart. He knows your every thought. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows that. He knows what troubles your spirit. He knows what brings you great joy. He knows your weaknesses and he sees, listen, all of your blind spots. 
He sees all of them. How is it that we can forfeit this place of intimacy with the one who knows us best? Listen, don't mistake your work for God as a substitute for intimacy with God in a relationship characterized by coming to a place of prayer. Psalm 91, those last few verses of Psalm 91, the Lord himself again is speaking here in the psalm. Because he has set his love upon me, the Lord says, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call to me and I will answer him. Did you hear that? He shall call to me, the Lord says, and I shall answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And see, as you consider the benefits of such a relationship with God, the words here in Psalm 91 are instructive. Are you coming to him, setting your love upon him? Do you know this God to whom you pray? Are you regularly calling out to him? See, he promises to answer. He'll deliver. He wants to show you his salvation. The place of prayer is a place of privilege. It's a place of humility. And it's a place of intimacy. But it's also, fourth, it's a place of need. It's a place of need. Turning your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of what? Our time of need. Our time of need. Place of prayer is a place of need. Anyone here ever experience any times of need in your life? Ever need anything? Sickness in the home? Anybody ever have that? Mm -hmm. Anybody ever lost a job? Anybody ever looking for a job? Anybody have any aging parents that you're having to minister to right now? Absolutely. I know that's the time for it. There's a lot of folks dealing with that right now. It's real, it's a need. It's a real concern. Any of you have children making decisions about where to live, whether they're going to go to college, whether they're going to go into the workforce, whether they're going to get married, and if so, the spouse, praying about that, what that looks like, peer group. How about wisdom for making right decisions? Anyone need help on training some wayward children? Anyone need help financially? Anyone need clarity to walk in the light as Christ himself walked in the light? Friends, we've got need all over the place. We're a needy group of people. Because we have such a great high priest, Jesus, our Lord, we're called to come boldly without fear to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Mercy, in short, is not getting what we deserve. Grace is what? Getting what we don't deserve. Getting, obtaining mercy, finding grace to help in time of need. See, this place of prayer is intended to serve as a help in our time of need. I was reminded of the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. 
all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You see, God has provided a place to handle the cares of this life, the burdens that we experience, the heavy loads that we're carrying. He's called us to come to his throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this place of prayer is a place of privilege and intimacy and humility and great need. Remember, Jesus knows our every weakness and we're called to take it to the Lord in prayer. Well, this place of prayer is also, fifthly, it's a place of battle. It's a place of battle. In that classic passage on the armor of God in Ephesians 6, you can't miss the place of prayer, right? Verse 18, praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it really helps us define the enemy in this battle. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, You know, we stop right there because this is really a hard thing for all of us to remember who the enemy is. The enemy is not our flesh and blood. The enemy is not your spouse. The enemy is not your child. The enemy is not your extended family member. The enemy is not your co-worker. So who's the enemy? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Here's the enemy. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. How many of you recognize that there is a battle going on for your soul and the souls of those in your care? It's a battle. All the more reason to be having this ultimate conversation. All the time. Young people, there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. And we need a wake-up call. There's a battle going on. The enemy of your soul takes great delight when you ignore the battle. He takes great delight when you try to fight the battle on your own. The place of prayer is a place of battle. And you need to put on the whole armor of God and pray. And the Bible, time and time again, tells us that we ought to always pray. Romans 12, verse 12, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Acts 12, 5, you might remember Peter is in prison. Remember that? And text says that Peter was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer. Luke 18, Jesus shares a couple parables about prayer, talking about how men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Why? 
When you consider the battle, you're drawn to being on the ready, being alert, being watchful, always on the lookout for the enemy approaching. Think about a good soldier, a highly trained soldier. He's looking out. He's not sleeping. He's watching. And it's exactly, exactly connected to the passage of Scripture in Peter chapter 5. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The follow-up is resist him steadfast in the faith. Resist him. Listen, if the Bible tells you something, it calls you to something, the Bible is always going to give you the power and the resources and the equipment to actually do it. Resist him. How do we resist him, friends? We got to know who we're fighting against. We got to remember that we have the ultimate conversation that needs to be happening all the time, and especially as we're thinking about prayer as a place of battle. It's a battle. God has equipped you with everything you need for this battle. He's called you to put on the whole armor and to stand. Did you notice that in Ephesians 6? He's called you to stand. In the battle, we're called to stand. The paradox here is that we stand best when we're on our knees crying out to our commander-in-chief. That, that's how we stand the best when we're praying, when we come low in humility. I think of David before Goliath, and he says, this battle is not going to be won because I have a bigger spear than you. This battle is the Lord's. Or Moses, when the people are grumbling, when they see the Egyptians pursuing by the Red Sea, and Moses says and reminds them, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And Nehemiah, when he calls the discouraged people who are, who are fearful of, of being overtaken, Nehemiah says in 4.14, remember the Lord, great and awesome Fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You see, the place of prayer is a place of battle. And closely connected to this, lastly, is that the place of prayer is a place of power. It's a place of power. Listen, the battles we face cannot be won on our own. We can't continue fighting in our own strength. The Bible calls us to pray always in the Spirit. In the Spirit is power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us in Christ. That is resurrection power. Resurrection power. That's available to us in Christ. God is in the business of raising up the poor, helping the needy, healing the brokenhearted, setting at liberty the captives. He alone has the power to do these things. And you might find yourself in a battle at home right now. You might find yourself in a battle at the workplace right now. A battle within your extended family right now. The battle is not against that other person, but against the spiritual forces of darkness at work. All the more reason to come boldly to the throne of grace. For it's his power that changes things. His power makes all the difference in the battle. His strength, we sing the song from time to time, His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. He'll carry us when we can't carry on. Listen, raised in His power, the weak become strong. 
His strength is perfect. Another rendering from the word of God. We see this in Isaiah. Uh, This has been especially helpful to me of late. In chapter 40, a couple rhetorical questions. Just in case we have lost sight of this and forgotten. He says in verse 28 of chapter 40 in Isaiah, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Listen to verse 29. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, when you pray, you are relying on the unlimited power of God to move on your situation, on you, or upon the one that you are interceding for. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. The Bible says we have not because we ask with wrong motives that we might spend what we pray on on our own pleasures. Basic to building on Christ's foundation is prayer. This ultimate conversation. This is basic. This is like 101. This is like prerequisite. You're going to college and I got to take this class. It's not my favorite class maybe. You know, you think these are things I have to take. This is not really going to be my major study. I've got to take this class. We go nowhere with the Lord unless and until we come to understand and figure this basic 101 aspect of the Lord. He calls us to this. And this, my friends, I believe is one of the reasons, if not the reason, why... You might feel this lack of his presence, lack of his power, this doldrums, this lukewarmness, this apathy. It's not just as an individual. And yet it is as an individual he calls us to come. But he also as a church calls us to come and to gather together to be in prayer. To pray for one another. He's got this throne of grace and we're called in the scripture to have a closet, aren't we? When you pray, go to your room. And your father who hears in the secret place will reward you. Some of you may be here this morning and you may be asking, so I, you know, I, I like what all is being said here about prayer. It sounds wonderful, sounds great. I just... I don't know how. I don't know. Hey, if you don't know how or if, if this is like beginning steps for you and your journey with the Lord, perhaps taking a line from the disciples of Jesus would be helpful here. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. We don't know how. Teach us. Lord, teach us. Let's ask in the conversation. Let's ask. Teach me. Maybe that's the starting point for you this morning. Ask him to teach you how to pray. Ask him for wisdom to know what to pray for, how to pray. His spirit in you is a helper in times of prayer. He's going to, in your weakness, give you words to speak, Romans chapter 8 says. He's going to give you words to speak. 
so that you know what to pray. And he's always going to help you and point you to the Lord Jesus Christ and his truth. I want to give you just briefly, and we're going to be done, some encouragement here for building on the foundation of Christ. Some action steps. What do we take away from this? What's something we can do here? Practical principles. Let me give you just a couple, and we're done. Okay? Number one, read the Gospels and trace the prayers of Jesus himself. Read the Gospels and trace the prayers of Jesus himself. You see, a servant ought to know what his master does. Amen? We ought to know what he, do, what he does, how he operates. We, we can learn a whole lot just by opening up the word, seeing what Jesus did. He sets us an example in this arena of prayer, and it would help us all greatly if we learn from the master. Secondly, this is something that I implemented this past week. I'm calling you and encouraging you to do the same thing. Guys, pray with your spouse every day. Every day. Now, we prayed a lot together. But in my mind, I had not really committed to this being an everyday, like set time at every day. And maybe it's not a set time even now. But committing to pray with your spouse every day. Remember, it's a battle. It's a battle. And the evil one wants nothing more than to destroy and drive a wedge between your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children. Pray every day with your spouse. Closely connected to that, pray with and for your children. Pray with and for your children. Bring them before the throne of grace. They're in the midst of a battle and Dads and moms, they need your prayers. Pray diligently. Lastly, pray the scriptures. Pray with the Bible open. Start with Psalm 119. 119. It's one of my favorite psalms. You can just go there and you can pray all the day long in Psalm 119. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. Turn my eyes, Lord, away from worthless things. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Pray his word back to him. The place of prayer is a place of privilege. It's a place of humility and intimacy. It's a place of need. It's a place of battle. And it's a place of power where his power is seen and exerted. At his throne you will discover life at its very best, a life characterized and enriched by a growing, vibrant relationship with the Lord God Almighty. So church, let's keep asking. Let's keep knocking. Let's keep seeking. Because we have a good father who gives only good gifts to his children. And this morning, he's calling you to come and take part in this ultimate conversation with himself. It's his desire, not that you out of duty pray. I prayed today. It's his desire that you pull up a chair and you have relationship with him all the day long. Amen? That's foundational building block number one for his church. I really believe that to be true. The word says that his house is to be called a house of what? Prayer.
May it be so here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good word. We thank you for this subject matter in the scripture that is large. It's exhaustive. We, we in no way uh, covered the, the full extent of it today. But Lord, I do thank you for bringing to our attention in your word the place of prayer. Oh Lord, it is a place that we all need to be at all times. And Lord, I, I just I thank you, Lord, for that, that image and that picture of the, the ultimate conversation. It's an ongoing conversation with our Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the pictures that you give to us in Scripture of people who, who regularly had communion and fellowship, conversation. And we see that relationship being nurtured in their lives. And Lord, we read those things and and I pray that it would be our desire to have that same kind of relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we would ask you for wisdom in this, that we would come to you regularly, understanding that we now have access to your throne of grace. Because of what Christ did at the cross, we have access at all times. Father, we thank you that you have given to us the right to become and to be called a child of yours. May we act, may we speak, may we think, may our motives be in line with that of a child of God. May it be our desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, we would keep in step with your spirit, that we would remember the battle is fierce in the day we live in. The days are evil. Let us steward the opportunities that we have before us to pray always, to pray with our spouses, to pray with and for our children, to pray with the scriptures open. And as a servant before the master, always looking to see how your son lived his life in constant prayer and communion and fellowship with his father. May that be so in our lives here at Open Christ. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.